Welcome to the History Guy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to stories of lesser-known historical events told by Lance Geiger, also known as the History Guy on YouTube. I'm Josh, your host, a writer for the channel and eldest son of the History Guy. We tell all kinds of stories about history, from the modern era to the ancient past, so you never know what we're going to talk about next. One thing you can be sure of, it is history that deserves to be remembered. On today's episode, the History Guy tells the stories of two New York City riots, both of which began over seemingly trivial issues. First, he tells the story of the Shakespeare riot, when a disagreement over who played the better Macbeth turned deadly. Then he tells the story of the Straw Hat riots, when fashion and a particularly warm day ended with thousands of hats smashed on the streets of New York City. Without further ado, let me introduce The History Guy. There seems to be kind of a curious gap in the teaching of U.S. history for that period that comes after the War of 1812, but before the Civil War, the period called the Antebellum period. And while we don't talk about that period all that much, that period between 1820 and 1860 really largely defined the nation. Stretching newfound muscle, the nation's politics, its demographics, its geography, its economy, and its culture transformed radically during that period, offering new opportunities but also new challenges. And the stresses of all those changes seem to come together in May of 1849 in the nation's largest city over the most pressing issue of the day. Who played the best Macbeth? The Shakespeare riot of 1849 is history that deserves to be remembered. The United States experienced enormous growth in the first half of the 19th century. Between 1800 and 1850, the population in the United States more than quadrupled from 5.3 million to over 23 million. While most of the growth was internal natural growth in an area of high birth rates and low mortality rates, as the 19th century progressed, the nation saw an ever-increasing number of immigrants. In the decade between 1820 and 1829, the nation welcomed some 128,000 immigrants. In the decade 1840 to 1849, That number had grown to more than 1.4 million. Many were Irish immigrants fleeing the Great Famine. Some 60% of those immigrants entered through New York City. The city was growing in a period of rapid urbanization. In 1810, not one city in the United States had a population over 100,000. By 1850, nearly a third of the U.S. population lived in a city with a population over 100,000. The population of New York City was around 80,000 at the turn of the 19th century, but by 1850 it was nearly 700,000. The rapid urbanization was driven by rapid industrialization, creating entirely new economic classes and new economic stresses. One trend of particular note was the growth of a class of the extremely wealthy. In 1844, poet Nathaniel Parker Willis coined the term the Upper 10,000. Willis was using the term as a compliment, but the term quickly became a point of contention. While the upper tens represented the opportunity in the nation, John Jacob Astor, the richest man in America and America's first multimillionaire, had made a fortune in the fur trade, but had started in America working in a butcher shop. The measure between the privileged few and the teeming masses was becoming more obvious. A verse from an 1863 song by popular vaudevillian Tony Pastor said, The upper 10,000 wear jewels and lace, but the lower 10,000 have rags in their place. Meanwhile, industrialization was growing a working class that was benefiting from rising wages and newly found expendable income. In New York, a working class culture grew, epitomized by the so-called Bowery Boys and Gals. 
The name derived from the street and neighborhood of New York called the Bowery, which had started as a neighborhood of the wealthy, but by the 1830s was a neighborhood of the working class. While certainly rough and tumble, the Bowery boys and gals were also proud. They developed distinct styles of dress, spoke in a kind of street slang, and had a reputation for being rowdy and boisterous. A European visitor described them. Who are the boys and gals of New York? Sometimes a stout clerk in a jobbing house, oftener a junior partner at a wholesale grocery, and still more frequently, a respectable young butcher with big arms and broad shoulders, in a blue coat with a silk hat and a crepe wound about its base. In many ways, they represented the very nature of the brash young nation. They loved independence and freedom, valued loyalty and patriotism, and had a disdain for the aristocracy. They saw the growing trend of immigration as a threat to their wages. They could turn towards violence, and the Bowery Boys was a term for various New York street gangs that were anti-immigrant, anti-Irish, and anti-Catholic, and brawled with other gangs. And one place where the cultures met was at the place where people of all classes sought entertainment and diversion, the theater. In its growth, the U.S. had struggled to develop its own theatrical traditions. There was not yet a quintessential American theater voice. But the character of the theater was changing along with the changing nation. The Bowery Boys were avid but rowdy theater goers. If they liked a song or dance, they would demand that the performers repeat it. If they disliked an act, they might hiss or catcall or throw rotten vegetables. In contrast to the more well-heeled clientele, they drank, smoked, and cavorted with prostitutes at the theater. There were various views of this clientele. Frances Trollope, a British author who published her experience traveling in America under the title Domestic Manners of the Americans, decried the incessant spitting and the mixed smell of onions and whiskey. But poet Walt Whitman had a more romanticized view of the noble working-class theater audience, packed from ceiling to pit with its audience, mainly of alert, well-dressed, full-blooded young and middle-aged men, the best average of American-born mechanics. And into this atmosphere came the egos of two of the greatest actors of their times. William Charles McCready was considered perhaps the greatest British actor of his generation, and Edwin Forrest was the first truly American stage star. Growing up in a time when most stage actors in America were British, Edwin Forrest began his theatrical career traveling through rough theaters of the American West before having great success at the Bowery Theater in New York in 1826. The newspaper The National Advocate said of his performance of Shakespeare's Othello at just the age of 21, there is not the slightest doubt in our minds, but Mr. Forrest may reach the highest ranks of drama. What set Forrest apart was what the advocate referred to as natural spirit. He played a more boisterous, robust, and frankly, American version of Shakespeare. A decade later, he was one of the most famous actors in America, and seen by many to be the very embodiment of American theater, when he traveled to England to perform in the country of Shakespeare. There he found general success, although not universal approval of the British press. And there he also made the acquaintance of William Charles MacReady, considered by most to be not just the greatest actor of the day in England, but also in a successful tour in the United States. MacReady was complimentary of Forrest, according to the advocate, even if his supporters in the press were not. The two formed something of a rivalry. When MacReady had a second tour of the United States in 1843, Forrest contrived to play in theaters in the same cities, giving audiences, in essence, a choice of the American or the British version of Shakespeare. The rivalry was generally good-natured, and both found success in their tour, even as American papers tended to prefer their native son. The rivalry turned sour, however, when Forrest returned to England in 1845 to less success, especially with his portrayal of Macbeth. 
Forrest became convinced that MacReady and his supporters were conspiring against him. Forrest heckled one of MacReady's performances, and the British press turned against him, carrying on an ugly back and forth between Forrest and the editors of the London newspaper, The Times. So when William McCready returned to the United States in 1848 for another theatrical tour, the rivalry was more than just a challenge between the egos of two actors. It was really seen in the United States as representing the challenges of the times. It was, it was a matter of patriotism and pride. Francis Trollope complained that the American working-class theater audiences were so patriotic that if Yankee Doodle was called for, they seemed to think that their reputation as a citizen depended upon the amount of noise that they made. It was seen as that, that, that contest between nativists and Europeans, and especially the English, the hatred of whom even the Bowery Boys and Irish immigrants agreed upon. It was seen as that challenge between the upper tens and the working class, and the difference between the populist Jacksonian Democrats and their more conservative Whig rivals. The particular bone of contention, it seems, was that Forrest's supporters found it offensive that McCready had failed to invite Forrest to visit his home when he was in England in 1845. Newspapers happily stoked the flames of the rivalry as it sold papers. Forrest's supporters promised to hiss McCready off the stage, but found only limited success in places like Boston and Philadelphia, where McCready was still popular enough among theatergoers to receive a civil reception. The Boston newspaper The Bee lamented the rivalry and poor treatment of MacReady, even as they opined that we desire to see less art and more nature than Mr. MacReady throws into his style. But New York was the center of Forrest's support, and the feud was coming to a head when MacReady was scheduled to play Macbeth in what was billed as his last performance in the United States at the Astor Opera House on May 7, 1849. Opened in 1847, the Astor Opera House was intended specifically to exclude the rowdy patrons of Bowery Street. Originally intended to only offer opera, the Astor House's higher ticket prices and strict dress code that required white gloves and evening dress was aiming for an audience of the upper tens. Forrest's supporters bought hundreds of tickets to McCready's performance and attacked him with a wave of hisses and rotten vegetables, while the rest of the audience shouted shame, shame at the rabble-rousers. The actors had to continue the play in pantomime, as the audience could not hear them over the noise. Finally, the theater drew the curtain, as the audience members had started to throw chairs. This was a sorry display, to be sure, but would likely have been written off just as frontier manners, had a group of New York elite, who took the behavior of the mob as an embarrassment to the city, not signed a petition for McCready to complete his engagement, arguing that the good sense and respect for order prevailing in this community will sustain you on the subsequent nights of your performance. Thus, McCready was scheduled for a final performance on May 10th. The situation was not just inflamed by the theatrical rivalry and conflicts of the times. Earlier that year, a Whig, Caleb Smith Woodall, had won the mayoral election in New York. The Tammany Democrats saw an opportunity to gain political points and embarrass Woodhull by further inflaming the working class crowd. Tammany supporters distributed handbills asking, Shall Americans or English rule this city? The police warned the mayor that they did not have the resources to quell a serious riot, and the mayor mobilized 300 members of the militia. A bloody confrontation was in the works. The night of the performance, more than 10,000 people filled the streets. They attacked the Astor House with bottles and bricks and had running battles with the police. The New York Tribune wrote, The pieces of bricks and paving stones rattled in on the terraces and lobbies. The confusion increased till Opera House resembled a fortress besieged by an invading army rather than a place meant for the peaceful amusement of civilized community. Then, the rioters tried to set fire to the theater, 
As McCready slipped out the back in disguise, the mayor sent in the militia, afraid of losing control of the city. The crowd, venting the frustration that the poor half of the elite, attacked the militia with paving stones. Still, the mayor and police did not want to order the militia to fire, but the militia commanders explained that they would not just stand to be pelted with stones, and they had to be either allowed to fire, or they would leave. Finally, the mayor gave the order. The first volley was fired above the crowd, and when the attacks did not stop, the next volley was into the crowd. The crowd regrouped and continued throwing stones. The militia finally had to bring up their cannon, the threat of which finally caused the crowd to disperse. Eighteen people were killed in the shooting, many of them bystanders. The Evening Post listed the casualties, included Bridget Fagan, Irish, 30 years old, shot in the left leg just below the knee, lives in 11th Street between Avenues 1 and 2. She was two blocks off, walking with her husband on their way home, fell into his arms. And Henry Otten, grocer, corner of Hester and Orchard Street, was shot through the stomach and died in the 15th Street Ward Station House while we were there. His aged mother was present, and her lamentations were truly heart-rendering. Several more died of their wounds over the next few days. The New York Herald described the people killed. All were unanimous in that they lived in trying times in a very dangerous neighborhood. More than 50 police and 140 militia had also been injured. The Astor Place riot was the deadliest of numerous riots and insurrections that occurred in New York City during this tumultuous period and resulted in more civilian casualties due to military activity than had occurred in the United States since the Revolutionary War. Clashes between rioters and police continued for a couple of days, but were quelled by the presence of troops. A jury later acquitted the militia of any wrongdoing, arguing that their actions were justified, but ten instigators of the riot were tried and convicted and served jail sentences. William McCready went back to England and never returned to the United States. He retired from acting in 1851 and died in 1873 at the age of 80. Edwin Forrest continued acting in the United States despite suffering partial paralysis due to gout. He died uh, of a stroke in 1872 at the age of 66. The Astor Place riots had some important and long-term impacts on the United States. For example, New York City police officers were armed more heavily as a result of the Astor Place riots. But the Astor Place never recovered its reputation, became known as the Disaster Place, and it closed, and more upscale entertainment was moved uptown. American popular culture split between highbrow entertainment and entertainment for the working class, like vaudeville. And Shakespeare, which was once so popular among all classes in America, that miners in California would stage impromptu Shakespearean plays based on memory, faded from American popular culture. Now's the part of the episode where we get to chat with the history guy. A little bit about what we just heard, what we're going to hear, and some behind-the-scenes stuff you only get to hear about on the podcast. So today we're talking about, you know, two riots in New York City. And as we were kind of preparing for the episode, you'd mentioned we haven't even really scratched the surface on uh, New York City riots. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've talked about several. And there's, I mean, we could make several episodes on those. But, I mean, there's still we haven't crossed the surface. There was uh, – I saw a historian once, and I can't find the quotation again. So I, I, I'm not going to be able to attribute the quotation to whoever it was. I hope I don't insult you. But they said essentially every street in New York is soaked with blood. Uh, and it's true, and and it's it's interesting, and and I think this the Shakespeare riot, the Astor Place riot, is a really good example of that. In that, uh, uh, McCready and Forrest had been all over the major cities of America on this tour, in the exact same circumstances, uh, and nowhere else did it make a riot. 
I mean, somewhere. I mean, they had some jeers sure. and stuff in other places, but nowhere else did it make a riot. So New York, it's it, there's riots. You know, there's plenty of riots in America. There's plenty of riots, I guess, anywhere you go in the world. But New York is kind of unique. It, it is the. It's always been the nation's largest city, uh, and it is uh, a centerpiece of immigration. It's a centerpiece of commerce. Uh, it is more than people realize right in between, actually, North and South. I mean, during the Civil War, yeah. uh, the state of New York was very much Union and very and sent huge numbers of troops. But the city of New York, because they did a lot of, of trade, was uh, was not so clearly in the Union cause. And actually, hmm. the, the proposal by the mayor was to become a free city. Yeah. Uh, and that essentially yeah, I, I remember to, that. And so... Uh, it, it, any if it's if it's regional north south east west that ends up uh, running into it in new york city if it's if it's racial whether that's immigration or whether that's uh, uh, black versus white or or i mean that ends up in new york city if it's economic you know which whether that's you know rich versus poor or that's uh, uh, immigrant or union or non-union and then of course the politics in new york city too because for so long yeah. it was run by tammany hall it was the, the example of machine politics any stressor that could cause something, and of course, enormous growth uh, very, very quickly. Uh, any stressor, it just seems to be in New York, and so it's the first place that people would uh, would riot. Uh, and, and so this is this is an example. Of that. I mean, this, the thing about the episodes and the ones in today's podcast is, you know, how dumb can the reason can the reason possibly be yeah. to riot? And honestly, today we very frequently your sports team wins, and so you burn the place. I mean, we we can have some pretty you know some pretty bizarre reasons why you would burn your place down today. Yeah. But I mean, you know, over you know over who's who's the best Macbeth? Uh, but I mean, this was it's, this was a matter of America coming of age. Uh, yeah. This was so a matter of us, you know, the response of America, you know, trying to prove itself versus versus uh, the UK. Not that long after the the War of eighteen twelve, by the way. Uh, uh, this was also a matter of rich versus poor about whether the you know the the yeah. opera houses were supposed to be you know just the upper tens or whether everybody gets to go. I, the whole underlying point to this one is a bit hard to to to, to dig through. Uh, but yeah. uh, it, it it does show that I mean New York is the place where if there's going to be a fault that's going to lead to a riot uh, apparently that's going to be that's going to be New York City it's just the place where it's most likely to happen yeah well and that's you know this this particular riot and uh, you know this particular episode I think it does something that that I like to do with our history and I think we do it on the channel a lot is we take you know one event and we are able to kind of extrapolate all these larger. Uh, these yeah. trends and movements and all the all this other stuff and so you know this gets to be we get to talk about uh, politics and race and uh, anti anti immigrants. Yeah, I mean nothing and nothing does happen in a vacuum. But I mean, how do you get a riot? No. This big? you can't really get a riot this big over Shakespeare, right? I mean, so there's something no. else going on that's going to lead to it here, uh, and that's that's part of the reason to try to understand. It's not just to hear the history of the riot, but to hear you know what was going on. Uh, that's the reason that we could end up. And I mean, this was this was no small thing. And when they were shooting in the crowd, they they finally the way that the the military dispersed the riot was to bring in artillery. Uh, and so yeah. it's, it's amazing that it wasn't deadlier than it was. But the fact that it turned deadly is crazy. Uh, and so, you know, why? I mean, they weren't throwing chairs at the stage, really, because they were mad that the English guy's Macbeth was more muted than the American guy's. I mean, that's not, yeah. it's not, not going to lead to this. There was, there, you know, you you can talk about how that was some piece of the of the overall puzzle of of why these two kind of became this, you know, yeah, this how that how that becomes the centerpiece of it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And a lot but, of it had yeah, to do with I mean, class and culture in New York City. We yes. had a growing middle class uh, that were, uh, you know, the upper class really didn't uh, didn't think that they belonged there. 
Uh, and that's really where the conflict yeah. was. But also sometimes when you, know, when you have a growing class like that, then they're, they're a little rough around the edges. And you would say that about the Bowery Boys. I mean, they were uh, you know, they they just saw the world kind of differently and they were a rowdy bunch. And they were used to going to bars and having bar brawls. And, you know, they turned this into that. But it's also, no, I the, mean, the rowdiness even the, was clearly a part of it. Because the two, Forrest and McCready even didn't apparently have bad blood until they, you know, for a second trip to London. Uh, and it, you know, over yeah. whether, you know, when Forrest was in England, uh, did McCready invite him over to his house? I mean, that's the. <laughs> it gets a little, uh, it gets a little, that you're like, wow, up, okay, so we're, we're finding the That winds up with the militia shooting at people in New York City. That is. Yeah, because it's, it's one thing. I mean, you know, today we'll have celebrities who are, uh, they we think that this one or that one is and and you know i mean you've got the, the what do they call them like stands who will go out and get into you know they want to get in the the face of the other people's fans on who who was the in the right or whatever i mean we have that stuff but it is very uncommon that that that, that leads to to a, a riot not just a couple Absolutely. of people you know getting in a fight in a bar but uh, people literally the militia being yeah, called call that, yeah that's that's but, very strange you know if you look i mean we've had plenty of riots in recent u.s history but i mean yeah. the, you know the, the the things that are leading to the, the the riots that we have today seem more substantive uh, but on yeah. the other hand uh, our sports riots are probably just as violent as our political riots so i you, no, know, you I, I don't those, know that we, yeah you see those all over the world too uh, that's uh, you, what there was there was like two rome teams were playing each other and they were confiscating just absolutely medieval weapons from these people before the game oh, was absolutely yeah, Boy, yeah. people like, will people were, you know, uh, soccer football yeah. is, is people are serious about that and that's yeah. turned into violence lots of times you know, the crowds take yeah. it seriously all, yeah. all over the place yeah that's 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 been a, you know whether you're talking about places in europe or latin america there are just places where that that's taken very serious but you can't can't say that the united states has none of that because again yeah we have we're, our football we are kind teams of a free wheeling wild rest and, here yeah but <laughs> i mean and we've had i mean there's been you know plenty there's been straight up modern riots in in new york city i mean that's oh, yeah. and uh, so and yeah. they and they all show what's going on at the time so it's interesting that yeah. that uh, some of you know what was going on in, like the astor place riot is the same thing that was going on when they had you know riots in the 77 blackout i mean so you're seeing yeah. some of the same sort of stuff that's coming along and that it keeps coming back. So it is. The, I mean, the point of this one is to say, what's the craziest stuff that you could have an argument? Can you imagine being so mad over a Shakespeare play that you're ripping the chair out of the out of the floor and throwing it at the <laughs> stage? It at the, <laughs> it's it's all and you know the, the the class part of it because you know they they literally they stop the one play and mm-hmm. it's like all right we're just going to be done we've gotten through it without a riot and and the upper class that you know the the upper 10,000 writes this letter that says well you know that was so rude of them and it is you know we'll we'll sustain you with our you know our good manners and, and make him come back <laughs> yeah if they just kept their mouth shut and said yeah go home there's Everything no reason for this fine. but they're like we want to prove that new york could be civil and it ends up in a shooting war that's just really that's how things kind of wind up isn't it and the astor yeah, place yeah, never that's... recovered it never got back its reputation yeah and part you know, of it was it... that the astor place was trying to be upper tens it was trying to be yeah and, and that seemed to inflame it more but i mean there's there were political motivations involved there too and it didn't have to do Absolutely. with the mayor being a whig and, and there were reasons for the the democrats the tammany democrats to be stirring the pot and uh, well, and yeah, and they did, right? I mean, yeah. there's there's certainly reasons that the they're, they're trying to stir up the the and the and the fact that there really was kind of a divide, uh, not not I'm sure a clear and perfect divide, but this idea of the Whigs as as the 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 more you know uppity, yeah, and, yeah, they more represented, and the yeah. Democrats as this more working, more class. working class, I, I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that that was that that did matter, especially in New York, and of course Tammany was in everything. I mean, oh, yeah. they were they were constantly, well, and we're never above uh, never above throwing a good riot. <laughs> 
Was, Absolutely. Kameny was never all that anti-riot in their, <laughs> in their activities they were over time. I think that they tended to, to see a riot as, as a political yes. uh, What was the line from your friend? A riot is an ugly thing, and it's about time that we had one. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just amazing it really is truly incredible how how all of these things can connect and how i mean to some extent you know you can you can see uh connections between riots that are you know this riot that happened mm-hmm. uh what 18 uh 1849 is that when this was uh, yeah. uh and and modern riots is that yeah. you can. Well, this, I mean, we're talking about a riot between... from nineteen twenty-two, and there, I mean, there certainly be differences yeah. between, but you also see some similarities. And part of it is yeah. just the nature of New York City. They, you know, they like to throw yeah. down. Uh, I don't know if that's still true, but I mean, you know, the people of New York are, are willing to go to fisticuffs yeah. relatively quickly. Is is how it seems. And there's there's just there's large groups of of different people and people who yeah. disagree, and it's easy to to build a crowd in New York City, and then you know that, that's kind no, of your I mean, first you know, step to be fair to New York. This riot, stuff happens but... in other places. Too. I mean, oh, gosh, one, yeah. oh, one of the videos is on what the uh, the Toronto Circus Riot. This begins with a, a oh, yeah. clown and a fireman walk into a brothel, <laughs> and that ends up in a, a deadly riot. So, and that's in Toronto, which is kind of famously a, 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 a not yeah. sort of city that New York is. It's, it's kind of famously yeah. a quiet city. Well, so yeah, so I mean, it's it's not unique to New York. It's just that New York no. it just keeps happening for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. And, uh, and for all again, kinds of reasons, yeah, but yeah. but. Some of it does have to do with with the you know the unique circumstances of New York. It does, um, but absolutely. Because you even talk, and like, you're very much here. You're seeing that difference. You know, the uh, Irish immigration. Yeah. Uh, you're seeing a lot of, uh, uh, and and that's uh, then you've got nativists that are responding to it. Yep. You've got a political discussion that's going on, uh, and it's always you know, you know unions. I mean, everything that you can fight over, it ends up being true in New York. So yeah. this is one of these where it was really kind of a. a, a a fight between two different social classes uh, that were yeah. in New York. And, and you can see then why Shakespeare becomes the crux of that, because the question is, yeah. does entertainment belong only to the wealthy or does entertainment belong to the people? Uh, and and yeah. that difference between the is you see that in the difference between McCready and Forrest yeah. and the way that they did Macbeth was was indicative of just that different culture between the people that wore yeah. white gloves when they went to see Shakespeare and the people that brought onions just in case they needed to throw them. That was... <laughs> But it's interesting because we've we've uh, in so many ways, you know, we've had just a, an explosion of media since then is that there, there are so many different things that we can watch and do today. Uh, you know, we're not we're not limited by. And this was a time when that was that was much less true. Uh, there was simply there was simply less. Yes. Uh, you know, there were fewer options. And so the theater was a place. I mean, that was one of the few. Yeah, yeah this is right. <laughs> entertainment. Right. Yeah, this is, and, you know, and today, you know, we have these fights on social media all the time. I don't know that we're more oh, yeah. civil today than we were then. We're oh, just that's fair, uncivil yeah. in a place where we can't actually punch each other. But uh, oh, yeah. well, and people have fights over all kinds yeah, of things. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people have fights over who plays a better uh, played by more than one person. I'm sure. I mean, Batman, and, right? And, that's... Yeah, <laughs> and people have a fight. You know, I like this movie. I didn't like this movie. And they will get really angry over yeah. that. And, you know, yeah, sometimes sometimes very some people have some very strong opinions on that stuff. It is. And then, you know, you just extrapolate that to everybody's watching the same thing and mm-hmm. everybody has strong feelings about it. And then you mix in politics and, and nativism. And, yeah. <laughs> and well, before this, you know, I mean, you have a Because they didn't really even have sport at the time. They didn't have professional sport no. going on. So this also has, I mean, look at the sport. If you want to know who's really arguing, yelling at each other, look at the sports pages. Uh, and and you know, you, you, when you have a team that's your team, then there's every reason to make it personal. I mean, we actually, you know, deliberately yeah. go to do that. And so, I mean, all that, all that boils over. But still, 
I mean, in the end, even when you look at all the reasons for it, the fact that this turned into a riot so large that the that the National Guard, the militia, had to be called out. Yeah. Uh, that the militia was being attacked. I mean, deadly attacks with with you know bricks so and paving stones. That the militia was either we got to leave or we got to shoot. Uh, that they were yeah. shooting so randomly into the crowd that a lot of the people that were wounded had nothing to do with they were just out strolling in New York and a straight bullet hit them. Uh, that they had yeah. to bring out artillery. I mean, that all is just, even when you put it all together, all the reasons why you might have fisticuffs over who is the best Macbeth, yeah. it is still unique that it would turn into this. And, and you know, I don't know what would happen anyplace other than New York. I think really at the, at the yeah. they were spoiling for the brawl before anybody started saying to be or not to be, right? So, Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that the the fight had had definitely transcended just uh, just Shakespeare yeah. at, at that point, right? It was it was well beyond that. I think that, I mean that letter where they where they you know have him come to make essentially this encore or this this full performance. I mean that that was a challenge, and that, that's what the Bowery Boys saw it as. Yeah. Uh, they 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 clearly very much said, okay, yeah. you think you think you're so special? Said, well, and dare you to do it one more time? And they're like, of course we can. You know, we can do that. That's yeah. what we do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, it didn't. Yeah, I, I mean, in a way, I mean, we weren't sort of laughing about it a little bit. But I mean, you know, there's you know, yeah. just you know, random people on the street killed, and and when we yeah. you start seeing the names Tragedy. of some of those people, you know, parents or fathers, or you know, a, a young woman that was just out walking with her boyfriend, they were no nowhere near the riot. Might have been at the first shot where they fired over their heads. I mean, those bullets came down somewhere, right? Yeah. And maybe somewhere else in the city, and and that's it's an absolute tragedy that people would die over yeah. this. And it's not really clear what lessons they learned, except for we need a bigger police force. Yeah. And I mean, and I don't know, uh, I mean, maybe it's difficult. Certainly there are difficult issues there. Uh, how to how to control, uh, you know, a mob has has still been a difficulty still for yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that was a difficulty uh, in, you know, 1500 BC. And it's a difficulty today. Yeah. And, and when you you know, I, I don't think for the most part that anyone wants to turn to deadly force on those. But I I also understand why the militia is getting pelted with bricks yeah. and rocks. And well, I mean, we've like, a lot of we... anytime you have to call the National Guard out for oh, yeah. a riot, then that's that's there's no good that's going to come from that. I mean, oh, no, that, that's people get people get hurt violent yeah that's luckily they weren't having to bring out the artillery and threaten them with artillery but uh, uh we, we don't usually bring cannons um yeah. then it ends up being a little bit of a flashpoint this you know this uh, particular riot and uh, this period in history where we start seeing kind of i mean there's always been to some extent a, a difference between you know like lowbrow entertainment and highbrow entertainment uh but uh, we have you would today say that we still have we still have quite a bit of that and it's interesting how that transitioned mm -hmm. you know in this in the mid-19th century when uh partially when we had the ability for uh, new media and new forms of media to start taking uh kind of providing you know entire audiences with new kinds of ways to to read and new types of things to read and mm -hmm. i think that, or watch or whatever they're you know that we're talking about paperbacks or or uh, different vaudeville or something like that but it's interesting how that how that's changed and it's also i mean you know shakespeare was famously in his time we talk about the fact that mm -hmm it was sometimes difficult to know whether that was lowbrow or highbrow. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, that he is hard to necessarily imagine today. Is, I'm exclusively yeah. seen as highbrow today and something you're kind of forced yeah. to read in high school. And, uh, and then you know, people who like Shakespeare, you know, and, yeah. but I mean that, that people were, that they were regularly staging Shakespeare plays from memory yeah. out when the 49ers were mining out in California. I mean, that was, this was, he, he was, you know, the entertainment for everybody and everybody appreciated yeah. his plays. So it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's hard to imagine today that you know, I don't know that we count who's the best Shakespearean actor in our time, or if they come and do tours yeah. in the same way that they did then. These were superstars. Uh, and, yeah. and, 
it's it's amazing, you know, if we, we want to talk about how history changes, these are two names, mm-hmm. uh, McCready and Forrest there, that I think you would have a uh, difficult time finding anyone who would yeah, uh, today, uh, recognize who those were, names yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's, it's. I guess that's, that's you know, just talks about the, the transience of, of, of fame. Uh, fame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, most people, I mean, there, there, there are names we remember from various periods. I mean, most people know, you know, George Washington, uh, but, uh, or at least in the United States, I guess I don't know what that, I would assume he's got at least some reasonable fame elsewhere, but uh, it's it's interesting, you know, how, how you could be someone who literally was drawing huge crowds and your portrayal could cause a riot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we don't even remember your name yeah, these days. So, and and then, I think you know, people here that are selling out, you know, concerts and things like that. We think yeah. about that. You know, that's that is interesting. About How long are we going to remember, you know, their names? Yeah, I, you wonder. I mean, a hundred years from now, does that does that mean anything, or is that just some name know. in a in a dusty old history book? Because I don't think that uh, you know, Macready and Forrest. I mean, they were pop figures. They were not mm-hmm. necessarily. Uh, the, they, they weren't the kinds of people that you're like, oh, no one, no one knew them except people who yeah, were everybody, really, you know, everybody knew was, at the time. They were the superstars. Yeah. They were, yeah. they were selling out the concert series. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just interesting how that's how that is all happens mm-hmm. and how you can see you know a piece of it in this is that it looks really silly for them to fight over these two guys. Say for us especially because we're like, man, who were those guys? Yeah. <laughs> you're right that we're fighting over people we don't even recognize. And, you know we're. <laughs> we, I guess, we still do that today, and I, that's always you always. People ask me sometimes. I say, "What are historians going to say about today?" And say, "I don't know. I have to have the the, the perspective of history to see that." So, uh, who knows if you know if you look yeah. back in in the you know early twenty first century and you say, "Why were people doing that?" You know, do we even remember you know what you know what the excuse was for that? Uh, because yeah. it's hard to figure out the excuse for this one. I'm sure at the time they did. You have to hope though. That the next morning there were people going like, oh boy, that got out of hand. You know, Yikes. this is not what we yeah, like, wanted. That's that's not. I hope they weren't like, that wow, they were at least embarrassed. You know, we got the we got the army out. You know, I hope they were like, oh wow, we we really maybe shouldn't have done this over, over yeah, Shakespeare. Maybe, that, maybe yeah. that was a little too far. So if you enjoy listening to our podcasts and the YouTube channel, there are lots of different ways that you can kind of support what we are doing and continue to get these forgotten stories and help bring them to light. Uh, Some of the ways you can do that are through our pay channels. You can do that on YouTube or Patreon. We also have a community of locals. Yeah, yeah. And we've also got this thing going on that if you're really interested in history and the history guy, you can now take a trip with the history guy. Take a trip with the history guy. Yeah, yeah. This, you know, a couple of years ago, we started having this idea: take a trip with the history guy, and that way we get to know some people. And COVID, some stuff got in the way, so we've been able to put together some trips this year. But uh, the trips, three of the trips, are you know, two are to Germany, one is to London. And we knew there were some people who didn't want to travel abroad, and who that was, you know, probably a little bit high on the price point. Uh, and so we decided to put together a domestic trip, and that's this trip that's coming up uh, in the Washington D.C. area, March first to the fourth. Uh, it's going to be done on a coach, so you get yourself to D.C., which is relatively inexpensive to fly to. Uh, and when you look at the rate, and we've had some people, but if you look at the rate, that's, that includes all the hotel, includes most of the meals, it includes the coach, and it includes all the tours. And so it's actually, I think, just a screaming deal to be able to do as much as we're going to do in those few days. So, uh, and the more, you know, if we get more people, we can just get another coach. So, I mean, there's the, the, it's not like the others where there's a cap to it. So uh, registration is available today, and it'll be a great chance. We're going to see things like uh, 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 Mount Vernon uh, and Ford's Theater, uh, and uh, we'll go to you know things like the Smithsonian and the and the, you know the National Mall, uh, and a lot of stuff that you would typically do if you go to D.C. But we'll be able to do it with a group of history lovers, 
uh, and the history guy. I'll be on the bus with you, and I'll be chatting with everybody, and uh, we'll be doing things in the evening where we can do a catch-up. Uh, so uh, it, this is just a great way if you if you want to know me in person, uh, if you want to see what I'm like you know, when we're talking about history, or if you just want to make sure you check, because you can't always do this, that you take a tour with a bunch of people who also love history. Uh, I think it's just going to be, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's that's what I would say about it. I would love to see people there uh, because, you know, the audience, I got to read your comments, but I don't really know who's watching yeah. the channel. And so it's going to be really fun. It's going to be exciting. It's my first real chance. We've done some events in a couple of places, but my first real chance to get a good smattering of the people who really are History Guy fans and talk to you about what you like about the show and, and uh, get your input about the show and, and uh, let you get to know me more as a, you know, as a person. Uh, I'll make this promise to you. Is I won't be wearing a bow tie the whole time, but you'll get to see me, you know, with my... And my, without the tie on and be able to have a chat with the, the as laid back as the history show. guy gets as laid back as the, yeah <laughs> taking off my bow ties about where i go yeah. we are uh, very passionate about history and i think that that's why we do this and i think that these are the kinds of conversations that uh, we would love to have anyway and so i think that if you're if you want to find people who are are happy to uh, share that interest with you this is this is a really good opportunity Great way to do it. So all the information that you need is on our webpage, which is www.thehistoryguy.com. And uh, that can show you, that also shows you the Europe trips too. I think we've filled up actually the German trips, but there's still uh, lots of room in the trip to uh, England. Uh, we'll be doing other trips in the future too. We're going to kind of see this is the first year. We'll see how these are all going. So we'll have other opportunities too. But I think it's going to be a great time. I think it's going to be great fun if you're, if you're interested in joining me March 1st to the 4th. Uh, this this next year, 2024, so that we can see the, the great capital of the United States and all the history in the area, too. Arlington Cemetery, we're going to be, too. We're going to see the uh, Library of Congress. Uh, we're going to go by the National Archives. Uh, America's history really is in D.C., and this is going to be our chance to go see it. Next up, the History Guy talks about the Straw Hat Riots of 1922. The flat hat that's most often called a boater, but also commonly called a skimmer or a basher, is made from woven Senate straw. The straws plaited and woven at angles, and the hat is typically the natural straw color, although usually with a wide, plain, or striped gross-grain ribbon band. Hats are typically slightly elliptical and have a flat crown and a thick, flat brim. The style of hat was purportedly based on flat hats worn by sailors. It was invented in the town of Luton in Bedfordshire, which was a center for straw hat making from the 17th century. While the design seems simple, they actually have made many different styles over the years. In 1822, one London shop offered... 42 different styles. The Huntington Press of Huntington, Indiana noted in 1922, last year's style saw a predominance of saucer brims. Just what variety will be in favor next year is rather doubtful. The hat was particularly suited to summer, being light but strong, and was commonly worn during summer activities such as boating, thus its most common name. Straw hats did have their difficulty, though. They tended to warp when wet, and as one New Yorker noted in the Daily News in May of 1922, rainy days that required the use of an umbrella all day and cool, blowy days, which often occur during the summer months, are good days to leave the straw hat at home and substitute a soft hat, cap, or derby. Because they used natural straw and were out in the sun, straw hats tended to last only one season before the straw would start to unfurl and the bright ribbon would fade. The hat was first made popular in the first half of the 19th century as a children's hat. By the 1860s, it was being worn commonly by women, but it wasn't until the 1880s that it became popular among men. The hat reached its popularity in a time when it was expected that a man would always wear some type of hat out of doors. While it was associated with leisure activities, the boater was actually seen as a semi-formal hat, the summer version of a Homburg. By the turn of the century, straw boater hats were considered an essential part of summer wear, but they were subject to the odd cultural device, 
of fashion rules. Fashion rules are strange things whose origins are often obtuse, but in late 19th century America, the rules were serious. Fashion rules represented class struggles, economic and immigration trends. The people who were in decided what was out, and whether a person wore what was in or out was used as a social measuring stick. For example, while the exact origin of the long-held fashion prohibition against wearing white after Labor Day is unclear, its early enforcement was really a measure of wealth. Wealthy families could afford to escape East Coast cities during the hot and muggy summers, going to the countryside where it was cooler. As cities in the time were filthy for a number of reasons, but especially because of coal soot smoke, it was impossible to keep a white dress clean in the city. Thus, wearing white in summer, while it may have something to do with reflecting heat, was actually a class measure. It separated the wealthy from those poor souls who had to spend summer in New York City. Boater hats had a similar tradition. Felt hats were expected to be worn in the winter and straw hats in summer. This is more than just a matter of practicality. The shift came to be specifically recognized as Straw Hat Day. It's not clear when Straw Hat Day originated, but a 1908 issue of the New York Times opined that straw hats should come with the strawberries. That is, it became appropriate to wear straw hats at the time that strawberries ripened. The op-ed went so far as to opine that New Yorkers who wanted to wear straw hats before what was then recognized as the appropriate day, June 15th, should move south, wear strawberries, ripened earlier. The rule apparently relaxed, however, with time, as by the mid-1920s, Straw Hat Day in New York was generally recognized to be May 1st, although the official day varied all over the country. There might have been reasons for such a rule, but one was certainly economic. Hat manufacturers knew when to have items in stock, and Straw Hat Day is a genius selling technique, literally a day when people were expected to buy a new hat. But there was the corresponding day in the fall, Felt Hat Day, the day that men were expected to give up their straw hats and shift to felt. By the turn of the century, that day seems to have been generally recognized as September 15th and was the genesis of a Wall Street tradition. Stockbrokers would traditionally wear their straw hats to work on the trading floor that day, and as a symbolic nod to the end of summer, at the end of the day they would throw their hats on the ground and crush them. Perhaps they were buying stock in hat companies. While some were willing to challenge the rule, the Wall Street tradition became something of a national tradition. If a man was seen wearing the hat after September 15th, someone would snatch it off his head and crush it, a fate that was usually accepted good-naturedly. Still, there were those who questioned the rule. The New York Times editorialized on September 15, 1922, The origin of this law is obscure. Certainly it's not based on American meteorology. But reflection justifies at least the suspicion that it originated in the dark machinations of the only class that has an interest in its perpetuation. The Times had reason to complain. The city at the time was in the midst of straw hat chaos. The trouble started the evening of September 13th. Although it was two days before straw hats were supposed to disappear for winter, it was a particularly hot day, drawing out hordes of late-season skimmers on the streets of Gotham. But the long-worn day also drew out hoodlums, what the Times described as Boys and others with undeveloped minds who delight in destruction for its own sake. On the theory that they had the right to declare open season on straw hats on other persons' heads, the paper reported, scores of rowdies on the east side and other parts of the city started smashing other people's hats. If hat smashing seems frivolous, Peter A. Hatting, the aptly named magistrate of the city's men's night court, disagreed. A man's hat, he explained, is just as much a man's property and just as much to be defended as a man's watch. 
The magistrate wasn't just talking theoretically. When a group of buttes tried to start smashing the hats of a group of dock workers, the workers fought back. The fighting turned into a brawl which stopped traffic on the Manhattan Bridge. There were dangers of riots breaking out in several parts of the city. Straw hot bonfires were started. Police reserves had to be called out. Seven hat smashers were brought to the night court by police on the night of the 13th. Magistrate Hatting slapped them with stiff $5 fines and threatened to jail the next hat smasher brought in. The threat was intended to send a message. To hit a man's hat, the magistrate declared, is a simple assault, and in this court it will be treated as such. The hope was that the magistrate's strong stand would curb the behavior. It didn't. More hat smashing occurred the following two nights. The Buffalo Times observed that the appearance of a straw hat was a signal for rapid entrance of gangs of hoodlums. Gangs of youths attacked hats, and sometimes the owners, if they tried to defend their property. 25-year-old Harry Gerber had to be taken to Harlem Hospital after he was badly kicked and beaten while trying to fight off straw hat vandals. Often the youths would use a long stick with a hooked nail at the end to grab hats right off people's heads. They even lined streetcar tracks using the sticks to knock the hats off passengers as the cars rolled by. One New Yorker reported that the mob of hat smashers along Amsterdam Avenue numbered as much as a thousand. The Tribune declared that the carnival prevailed from the Battery to the Bronx. Even plainclothes police were accosted. The Buffalo Times explained the police were kept busy, but there weren't enough of them, and there were too many hats. The Times reported that, in some cases, hundreds of boys and young men terrorized whole blocks and lamented that, as soon as police broke up the gangs in one district, the hoodlums resumed their activities elsewhere. Hatton continued his hard stance to those arrested, but many were youths, too young to be tried as adults. According to the Tribune, when police brought seven boys, all below the age of 15, into the 104th Street station, the lieutenant invited the boys' fathers to come to the station and spank them. And the invitation was cordially accepted. But some were old enough for the magistrate's court. Morris Sikowitz was apprehended by New Yorker Harry Oldbaum, who chased him down after he and a group of hoodlums knocked off his hat. Sikowitz was 16, old enough to be tried in court, and so was charged with disorderly conduct. Hatting fully planned to make good on his promise to jail the next hat smasher brought into his courtroom. Even Oldbaum objected, intervening on behalf of the boy, thinking that a jail sentence was excessive. But it was the appearance of Sikowitz's 70-year-old gray-haired mother that caused Hatting to relent, for her sake, sending the boy home with a fine. But, Hatting declared, I'll send the next one to jail. The unlucky offender was A. Silverman, sentenced to three days in jail. The violence quieted after the night of the 15th. New Yorkers seemed to have finally accepted that uh, straw hat season was over. Buffalo Times gave two reasons for this. One, the weather turned noticeably cooler, and two, most of the straw hats had been destroyed the night before. The street sweepers were said to have been kept quite busy sweeping up all the broken straw hats. It's hard to divine the underlying cause of the straw hat riots. It might have had something to do with class, but really it might have just been the weather. September 15th was described as a perfect day in New York, which brought out not just a lot of men in straw hats, but also the hoodlums that wanted to destroy them. But a few newspapers did note that the straw hat destruction seemed to occur most in the vicinity of hat stores, which did a brisk business selling felt hats to replace the broken straw hats, suggesting that there might have been some sort of bounty paid to the hoodlums under the table.
There were some examples of straw hat violence in subsequent years, but the straw hat riots of 1922, where more than a dozen people were arrested, were by far the worst. Slowly with time, the, the, the boater hat fell out of fashion, and that prohibition of September 15th faded. In 1925, President Calvin Coolidge was famously photographed wearing a straw hat all the way on September 20th, perhaps shattering the rule for good. So, you know, if we thought that rioting over who played a better Macbeth was silly, uh, this <laughs> this riot is is potentially ridiculous. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's just even hard to imagine. I mean, first of all, it's just none of it. You don't have any context on this yeah. today. People you know, don't even wear hats. But, uh, you know, the idea, I mean, we have, you know, ideas of fashion requirements. Uh, and I guess there are places maybe that if you wear the wrong clothes or the wrong color, you could get, uh, the, you know, it's possible that you could run into some sort of violence. But the idea that we have a rule so large that it could lead to a widespread riot of your hat, yeah. this is just hard to even put into context. Yeah, that these weren't, this, these were not isolated incidents. This was a, this was a legitimate, uh, drove, I mean, it was a, literally a problem for New York City. And, and you're right, there's yeah, not really, I, I mean, these days, you know, we, we mostly make fun of, I, I don't think, very many people take super seriously the whole like don't wear white after Labor Day thing. Uh, we we ma I think yeah, we make fun think so, of yeah. that, right? That, that's that's the comedy. It's in it's in all kinds of sitcoms. Um, it's a well known rule, but I don't think it's one that anyone follows. But this it's interesting to have these these extremely serious rules. And sometimes I wonder, you know, what will someone look back at today? And we were of some rule that we had, uh, or idea that we had that we thought was normal, and this was how things worked, and they'll just think it's just absolutely ridiculous, because uh, <laughs> oh, that's true, yeah, yeah. I mean, that because this is well understood at yeah. the time. Well, it was it was just a few years later, you know, the president's wearing a straw hat later into March, whatever. It was like, oh, you know, what? we don't have Maybe to. Maybe this is stupid. A fight. <laughs> Over your well, I mean, and you know, it all starts with sort of a game where yeah. you, you know your buddy's got his hat on, you know, past the time, and and so you could you take it and you throw it on the ground. It was probably going to be thrown away yeah. anyway, uh, and but I mean, and then that just gets out of control. So I mean, part of again, it's just it's New York. It's a very crowded city. It's a city that's going quickly. There is some. Uh, uh, some of the class yeah. warfare going on in here. Uh, a lot of this, though, was more the idea of youth versus yeah. uh, the versus people that were you know older and working. The, um, the people that were pulling the hats off were mostly juveniles. Uh, and at a time, you know, we talked about you know there wasn't much to do yeah. in 1922. There wasn't a whole lot to do either. I mean, you know, we 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 joke about our kids being on screens too much these days. But I mean, <laughs> what did you do yeah, in, before TV? In 1922, <laughs> yeah. you're just trying to wild yeah, your when, days away. When you had a really hot day in New York City. I mean, what what did the kids do, go do? do for entertainment well i guess they go pull people's hats off oh, and you heads. can see you uh, can see at first it just seems like this kind of like a harmless prank thing because it's it is mere days uh -huh. before probably the day when anyone's everyone's going to throw away their stupid hats anyway uh, the hats don't last more than a season essentially uh, you're you're not usually mm -hmm. keeping these things for years and years and years and so you can see where they're like oh well it's hot and this is something we can do and to be honest the fact that it was making people mad probably made them want to do it more <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, it was clearly a rebellious thing, uh, and uh, it clearly a mob mentality yeah. sort of thing. Where, you know, one person's doing it, and everybody starts doing it. And I'm sure that they were, that, you know, the youth were coming out in the street because everybody was doing it. It was their chance to blow yeah. off steam and do some stuff. That, and, they, you know, maybe they were trying to strike back at, you know, wealthy men who walked by them every day and, and yeah, they, uh, who seemed to think they were more important. And they're like, them. look at your stupid, silly hat. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. although to some yeah. extent, you know, they, they start using like sticks with nails on them and stuff. And I'm like, hmm, 
That uh, uh-huh. does seem like maybe that could that could get a little dangerous. You roll by on a streetcar and they hook your head off. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there were you know there were a few injuries. Yeah. I mean this one luckily the yes. militia didn't fire into the crowd, uh, and I think it came down to like you know, a little bit more than a dozen arrests. And they but I mean there was some brawling that went on. There were probably oh there, some, yeah there were some, some people who who got on. apparently fairly injured and some uh, people who were fighting over yeah. either defending your hat and you know then they're like all right well we're gonna beat you yeah. up. Yeah, the, the the magistrate whose 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 name is Hatch is, is mad, <laughs> uh, and and he's he's like I'm going to hold I'm going to do this seriously, and then you know then he, then he's, <laughs> yeah. it's not as easy. Yeah, to yeah do a sixteen year old to. who is technically old enough to to be sent to jail and but his trial, uh, and he's going to send him to jail. His, and his, his mom comes in and cries, and so the judge lets him go. And so the next guy, poor guy, yeah, right. Well, because all, because ultimately all they're doing is knocking off hats that that we're probably going to get thrown away anyway. Uh, but I also well, I mean he's he's probably right. It's as much oh, a yeah. property as a watch. You don't have a right to you don't have a right. To to do it and he was going to really try to crack it down but it's the stricter he got yeah, the more the was, more that they missed but apparently was not slowing but I mean, the, down <laughs> this this obviously was economic yeah. too and it might literally have been uh, that haberdashers were paying kids to go ruin it's, hats an, it's an interesting in to get people to buy it, it is an interesting uh you know I, I it doesn't sound like we really have any proof of it but i mean it, you would consider it widely. It was it was well suspected yeah. at the time. It's, that's all you would say. It was well suspected. And I can at the see. Time. I can definitely see why. You know, the hat people are like, oh, well, we're not really going to get in trouble for that, and uh, it's, it could cost them what a couple <laughs> couple bucks or something like that. And then uh, you know, mm-hmm. these people are, are definitely going to buy a new hat because they're all mad about the fact that their old hat was destroyed. But they're not going to go buy a new straw. Well, you're, hat. you're expected. It's expected if you're outside. You're you going have to have, to have a hat. hat on. Got, so I mean, yeah, yeah that's. Yeah, that's 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 a new thing. But you know, people generally wear hats today. And yeah. if you know, if people decided that they're going to go pull off, oh, hats, it would be a problem. You yeah. know, pull your bill cap off. Yeah, I mean, and so I mean, there's it, it, it's not inconceivable that you know you could have a you know a, a, in a city today you could have with you know some underlying tension. People decide they're going to pull people's hats off, uh, and then people get into a fight over you pulling the hat off. But I mean, this is uh, when you when you look at the pictures and there's like these seas of straw oh my gosh, hats. Yeah. Uh, then, then you see how this was. It was a bit much bigger deal at the time because that was that was that was like tearing up your suit. That's part of your outfit, yep. uh, and they were willing to go to fisticuffs over it. It's one of the most interesting parts is that they decided to try to do that with a bunch of construction workers yeah. who were, I guess, a lot different than the Wall Street. Crowd. Yeah, we're, we're less interested in. Uh, in... <laughs> so you're having you know a hat brawl downtown, and the the police are quickly overwhelmed, yeah. and the street sweepers can't That's keep up. All the hats. There's just literally so many hats. But when you look at those pictures, you can see them. Like, gosh. You come in and smash a few hundred of those things. I mean, that's a lot of hats. Uh, it is, yeah. They make that will make a lot of yeah. Trash, they, you know? Well, and they're but I mean, and you could you know, I mean, the whole I you can certainly see how people were surprised that this yeah. was going on. And, and if you read the newspapers at the time, they really were kind of embarrassed that it was going. New York just couldn't believe that people were doing this. But you know, you have uh, whenever you have uh, you know people that don't have anything to do, yeah. Uh, then uh, they, you know, will often turn to, uh, uh, you know, nefarious yeah. means uh, to entertain themselves. And so, I guess this was their version of the of the Shakespeare yeah. riot. Was this how they were entertained? I think they were just doing this for oh, fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, it, got, because and it got it's you know it's one of those things that just got out of control. But clearly, uh, people people saw other people doing it and it just spread. And what else do they yeah. have to do? And I mean, you're right that you know this that is property. And certainly today, if if you knocked off almost anyone's hat. Knocking off somebody's hat is is fighting words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think there's a very good chance. To so if if you just, I mean, I, I hope we don't give anybody any ideas. But I mean, if you would, you know, if you just decided that you're going to get all your friends together and say what we're going to do is go knock everybody's yeah. hats off, uh, you could you could probably get into you know some 
Yeah, maybe there'll be a faster police response. I yeah. don't know, but I mean, you could probably turn that into at least some sort of a uh, trouble. Yeah. And you know, that's 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 what I happened think the here. difference today is for for a lot of people that you know they have other things to do. Honestly, I mean, I think that that's that's part of it's it's a little bit of that idle hands thing. But I mean, we still have we still have youths who are you know loiter or do whatever it is that they do. Yeah, uh, yes, that's true. They don't seem yeah. to that don't seem to you know they're off being there do wells. Uh, I think that that's I mean that's been that's been a problem throughout all the time. But certainly we have you know uh, your choices aren't really just sit indoors or uh, go knock people's hats off. <laughs> yeah, but and you know you see the riots we have today they seem at least to an extent more. Yeah. I mean this seems like it was a lot more. Uh, I mean it was completely disorganized. Yeah. It was uh, and it doesn't seem like they were pushing any large political agenda. I you know I think they just thought that this was funny and they thought that, that they yeah. could. And you know when a bunch of people are doing it, then you start thinking that there's going to be no consequences. Uh, and then you do that, you have this really weird social convention, yeah. and you get a warm day in September, so that more straw hats are out towards the end of September than there should be. But it's just really funny to me that it's with it's within a few years. Yeah. I mean, they they do have some other trouble. They have troubles in other years because you still have this thing where people pull off hats. But uh, uh, I mean, nothing near the size as it was in twenty two. But uh, it, within a few years, they just gave up the convention altogether and said, "You can wear your straw hat yeah, whenever." Whatever, you want it doesn't to. matter. And that's that's right. All, all it took was you know the president to wear his straw hat in late September for people to go, "Oh, you know, huh. maybe maybe." Wow. <laughs> yeah. But imagine that, uh, I mean, I, I can't quite think of it. I mean, we certainly have sales on day, President's Day sales or whatever. But, I mean, that idea that there's a straw hat day where you're expected to go buy your straw hat. And then you're going to fall hat day where you're expected to go buy a yeah. felt hat. Uh, and that the, the vendors or the, you know, the stores are expecting yeah. that. I mean, that's, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, Honestly, I, you know, right? I, I guess we have, you know, we have like, you know, Halloween candy time. Or, I mean, we do buy some stuff seasonally, but I mean, that is, that is truly brilliant. Uh, someone should think of that one and bring that back. Cause, uh, because I mean, yeah, it's, right. It's, just it's, as a, as a marketing, as a marketing thing, I was thinking that too, is that that's an awful yeah. lot of hats you sell. And, you know, we talk about like that's planned, that's right. planned obsolescence, we should bring back hats, but yeah. I, I mean, those yeah. straw hats were clearly, um, that one of the reasons why they pushed those hats was like, hey, you got to buy a new one every year. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that means, I mean, that means you get to sell, you get to sell a hat every year as opposed to sell one like really high quality hat that's it's, gonna last it's a very simple hat yeah. and somehow they managed to have every year they would have this is the style that's amazing year, how thick the brim was or whether it was a bump on the brim or anything like it's that. a so i mean that you could take something so simple and that you can turn that into oh i have to yeah. have the latest one uh and that every pretty much every man is expected to buy a yeah. new hat that he's going to wear this season and then he's going to throw away at the end of well, the year uh, yeah, it's that's yeah, it's it's hard to imagine today. But honestly, someone someone's missing yeah. out if they haven't thought of a you know whatever that you need a if you don't need a new hat day, you need, you need a, something know, a new day. Shoe something day. that's got to be yeah, do something uh, day, yeah. that just a day where everyone goes in and turns in their old their old shoes and buys new ones or something like that. Because uh, yeah. yeah, it was brilliant that they were able to do that, and it's it's a. It's interesting how, you know, this episode is able to cross all, all these stories of, of fashion history, which, of course, I mean, as with all mm-hmm. pieces of history, um, matters and is this piece of society and, and culture that, that was certainly relevant. And I mean, it couldn't it, this this couldn't Absolutely. have happened yeah. without that. And the, the fact that yeah. it was the, what kind of fashion it was and this idea that it was so important to, to you know, all of these me, these older men that to wear it. And for the kids, you know, that you can mm-hmm. see the kids looking around being like, God, this is so stupid. But <laughs> yeah. And then, so this this is clearly yeah. a generational thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's 
It, so you can see shades yeah. of that today. You can see shades of the Astor Place mm-hmm. riot in the in the Straw Hat riot, and you can certainly see why you know riots occurring in New York. How they how there's some similarity yeah. in you know the sorts of things that would cause social stresses in New York. But and yet it's its own thing, and it's a bizarre thing, and it's something that's really hard to wrap your mind around today because we just don't see fashion quite the yeah, same but, way. But I mean, you know, there are there certainly there's red hats yeah. today that raise a lot of that's ire, true, uh, and those are you know that cause a lot of emotional response from people, and and those you know I guess those yeah. at any time could lead into some sort of i mean it's it's i think that this could happen today and i think we'd probably feel it's just as yeah right we i don't think we come out of it like oh this was a this was a reasonable and good reason for us to get some people beat up uh it's just it's just how it how it turned out and i I don't think that anyone went into this one necessarily with that i think most of the you know the the kids who were doing it thought it was harmless and oh yeah yeah this this is this is like yeah i mean it's also i can see the other side of it where it's like well it's not totally harmless i paid for that hat and it's my hat and (laughs) yeah it's not i mean you know the judge is right that i mean it's property and it's property has value and it's no different than stealing a watch but i mean they i didn't see it that way they saw it they saw it as being tradition that you could ruin a hat uh but i mean that was this was you know you could go do something that was you know clearly misbehaving but small misbehaving uh and make you feel you know like you've done something you know rebellious and uh and you know some of the people fought over their hats and some of them didn't fight over their hats but i mean swinging sticks with hooks yeah. with nails on the end at the streetcars this doesn't sound safe no, right I'm like it's, it's, it's just that, like that you've yeah. got a nail there that seems like that could rather easily turn into uh hitting yeah club yeah shoot your eye out kid yeah <laughs> and and i think we're in some ways fortunate that you know that this wasn't didn't turn into something where uh, i mean some people got injured but it feels like it could have been worse is that you could have gotten some people truly uh, it could have well i mean that's what we saw with the with the, yeah. the shakespeare right the astor place riot is that then the, the the escalation was yeah. much worse than the original uh, you know this was you know, they stopped at the throwing chairs at least on this one it didn't it, and maybe that has to do with the police response this uh, I, you know it, this was not as large as as new york city riots go it was nothing like the draft riots or anything like that uh, but still i mean it's crazy day it made newspapers all over the yeah. country and, and it really had people's minds just boggled like why is this going on why does this happen uh, and it really it ended because the weather changed and because people essentially if you <laughs> your straw hats were all gone yeah well yeah, how long and how long honestly can it can it be fun to not people's hats off eventually eventually yeah, the kids yeah. are going to get bored right that's the uh, but yeah. yeah you know you had you had the warm days and, it gets well, cool and, and, and people will stop wearing them because because you know you're going to get it knocked off, off yeah. and destroyed yeah and and i guess that the felt hats must not have been as fun to knock off <laughs> well yeah I, I don't know of any spring riots where they were knocking off felt hats because it was time to buy yeah. a straw hat uh, that didn't seem to appear but it is i i just partially you're able to see this and see it as because it is silly i mean it is silly that this is something that people were able to get uh honestly i mean in fights over and yet i, I it's also true yeah. that throughout human history there's been stuff like that uh and we had we had numerous yeah. places uh, we've told numerous stories i mean if you talk about the watermelon war mm-hmm. which is maybe perhaps better described as a riot uh, i mean that, that's something that clearly yeah got that was certainly yeah, it was a crazy out of hand for for no reason mm-hmm. um i wrote an episode on the the, 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 the 10 cent yeah, riot yeah I, mean, <laughs> I, I wrote an episode on the paris mustache strike and i think today that yeah. the concept that you know that the mustache was this this sign of class that mattered so much that they were that they were i mean they it's were willing to turn into strike yeah, yeah. i mean that's well, and uh, the, uh, the the women's smoking ban there in yeah. New York City and stuff like that. There's, there's, there are two fights over yeah. culture. 
uh, that really do turn into, I mean, they don't always turn into riots, but yeah. they do turn into, you know, discussions. That are and we can look back at it now and be like, my God, why would anyone do that for a mustache? But, to, you know, to the guy yeah. in 1912 in Paris, that mustache meant a lot more than just, uh, yeah, yeah. Than, than it wasn't just a mustache. What if, you, what if you're so poor you can only afford one hat? What if you had to try to save your hat till the next yeah. year? I mean, well, and you imagine that somebody, that some people were like that, because it was clearly very important that you wear this hat mm-hmm. as a matter. I, I remember one of the ads in there said, buy yours tonight or lose class. And I mean, they're literally just saying yeah. that in the advertisement. Yeah, you couldn't go to work. Yeah, so you had to get a hat. And yeah. so for someone, you know, that was that was hard earned money that uh, they maybe would have rather spent somewhere else. But they they had to buy the hat. And you know, to us today, we're like, oh, whatever. Why would it have mattered? And I'm like, well, it did matter then. And he didn't want to get made fun of. And there's a reason why you know people go to work dressed in particular ways and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's I mean, there's reasons for that. And uh, we just don't always see how silly it is uh, until you know. 50 years later and you look back and you're like wow that really was silly that was <laughs> that was perhaps less important than i thought it was thank you for listening to this episode of the history guy podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode of forgotten history and if you did you can find more on our website thehistoryguy.com we release podcasts every 2 weeks so stick around if you want to hear more podcasts of forgotten history You can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. You can even get a personalized message from the History Guy himself on Cameo.